All right, let's continue the conversation here, and we're going to turn our focus now uh, to the third report of the uh, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo at the State Capture Commission of Inquiry and some of its findings there. The ANC National Chairperson, Gwede Mandashe, uh, says he'll be taking the third part of the report on judicial review. That report finding that Mandashe and several ANC leaders, including Numvula Mokonyane, Tabang Magweta and Vincent Smith illegally benefited from Bosasa's corrupt business model. Uh, the former ANC Secretary General says he found the report to be unfair on him as it was based on assumptions and not fact. Ndevo Mogobo takes a look. The 942-page report of the State Capture Commission has detailed a corrupt relationship between Bosasa and some ANC leaders, including the party's chairperson Gwede Mantashe. The report said Bosasa paid for the security upgrades at three of Mantasha's properties while he was Secretary General of the ANC. Mantasha admitted he didn't pay for the upgrades, but denied that they were linked to any potential wrongdoing. And the report concluded that there is a reasonable prospect that a further investigation will uncover a prima facie case of corruption against him, something he didn't take kind to. I will not, however, at this stage address myself to the specifics of the findings, as this is a matter that requires legal scrutiny. But I have taken the decision that I will be taking the report to judicial review, as we believe there are areas in the report that require that action. I will therefore appreciate if you all allow me to get on with my work in government in the, and in the party until such time that there is an investigation and there is a case to answer. He said the Commission's findings are not based on facts but on assumptions. The reason that we say that is incorrect, it must be challenged in a legal review, is because it is creating a case out of assumptions. It is not creating a case out of facts. It is assuming that in case there is further investigation, that somebody else may find a prima facie case. That is the issue that we are questioning. The ANC chairperson also cautioned the commission not to find itself caught up in the ANC political crossfire. I presented myself to them and they say there is no prima facie case against me. And you say I must step aside. That will be conscious. Consciousness is about dealing with material realities around you. But when there is no prima facie case and I step aside, I'm just impressing everybody else like you who wish to see me stepping aside quicker. I will step aside when we move beyond this point. When then I'm charged, I will step aside because that's how it works. It's not stepping aside on the assumption that maybe in future there may be a case against me. It doesn't work that way. Other ANC big wigs said to have benefited from Bosasa's corrupt business model included former President Jacob Zuma, former Minister Nom Fulamukonyan and former ANC MP Vincent Smith, all of whom received benefits from the company that was awarded almost 2.4 billion rent in government contracts between 2000 and 2016. And through his foundation, former President Jacob Zuma has rejected the Commission's findings against him and has vowed to consult with his legal team on the appropriate course of action. Meanwhile, the ANC has set up a committee led by NEC member Jeff Harabe to process the report and implement its recommendations. I am Tewumokobo in Pretoria. Well, Karan Singh is the executive director at Corruption Watch and joins us this morning. Karan, good morning. Good morning, Cathy, and good morning to your listeners. 
Look, I don't know if you've had the chance to read all 900 pages yet, but of course uh, the recommendations section is a much quicker one to uh, try and peruse through. I think let's just begin firstly with Corruption Watch's reaction to the findings of this report. No, no look, I mean, I think in general um, it's, it's, uh, it's an outstanding piece of uh, uh, forensic uh, investigation. Uh, it's comprehensive. Uh, we know that the Botasa story has been in the public domain for for over a decade. Um, so uh, I think that it, it's an impressive report broadly. Uh, and you know, the, the you know one can quibble around uh, individual uh, uh, findings. Um, you know, but I think in general, where we're at now is we, we have a historical record about what's happened. We understand how Basasa operated as a, a sort of criminally corrupt enterprise in collusion with officials within, uh, within government and with, within the ANC. Uh, the question now is what kind of accountability can flow from this? We know that there, you know, there have been some previous cases uh, relating to Basasa that have been, that have been uh, uh, lodged, uh, and we would expect uh, additional prosecutions to flow from this. I mean, I think the one thing which has come out which is which is of confusion, uh, and I stand subject to correction, is this language in the report around the need for further investigations. I don't think that there's really, I think that that is just a, a, a safety kind of language on the part of the, the commission in recognition that they don't have a mandate to make a determination around who gets prosecuted and who doesn't get prosecuted. They, they, they've uh, taken testimony They've done forensic investigations. They've made recommendations. The mandate now lies with the MPA to say, based upon the evidence that we have before us, uh, is there sufficient evidence to pursue a successful prosecution? And only the MPA can make that, uh, that determination. And really, that's the last leg of the so-called investigation that needs to take place. This thing does not need to be investigated from inception. We, we, we really have a record now uh, of what happened. And, uh, um, you know, the, the issue of how the MPA makes that determination, how they, how they prioritize uh, who gets prosecuted first uh, is something which, um, you know, which they, uh, you know, if appropriate, can bring us into their confidence on. Karan, mm. I hear the point that you're making around the language, um, but when we have spoken to the NPA on, on different occasions about why it is that we're seeing a delay in the prosecution of cases that have been before the Zondo Commission, they say that the evidence before the commission cannot be taken as it is, that they have to try and build their own case that will be able to pass, you know, the muster of, of, of the courts. Do you think that that's not, in fact, what is happening here? No, so sorry, Kathy. I think I agree with that. And, and I think that's, uh, that's another way of making the point that I've made, which is an investigation has taken place. The issue now is an evaluation of the evidence which is flown from that, which, which comes from that investigation. So we know that at one stage there was a, a change in the regulations around the Zondo Commission to preserve the chain of evidence and also preserve the possibility that investigators that were involved uh, with those matters can be retained by the MPA as they go through this process uh, of evaluating the matter. So. Um, 
you know, the Zonda Commission have done their work. They've made findings based upon uh, 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 a reasoned process, and, and now the ball is in the NPA's court and in, you know, and, and others. You know, the ball's also in the ANC's court. You know, the ANC have adopted a step-aside resolution. Uh, uh, we can go into the details of, of how that resolution is meant to work. We could compare the situation of Minister Montache to the situation uh, of uh, former Minister of Health Zueli and Kizi to say, are these factu factual circumstances similar? I mean, uh, uh, Minister Mkhize was asked to set aside not following a fully-fledged commission of inquiry, but on the basis of, of, of allegations and, and other information that was in the public domain. Uh, are there a different set of rules now that are meant to apply to Minister Montage? Mm. And when we look at, again, the findings of the Zondo Commission of Inquiry, it's that we're going to have a lot of people that take different sections of this report on review. What does that do for the implementation process? Because you heard what the Minister Gwede Mantashe was, was saying in that clip, that uh, until the process is finalized and there is a clear finding against him, he's not going anywhere. Well, you know, that sounds like, you know, another version of a Stalingrad type of strategy. So, you know, absolutely. Uh, uh, we have a presumption of innocence. We have a, uh, we have a system based on the rule of law. So it's absolutely within anybody's rights uh, who feels that they're unfairly implicated to take the report on review. That's a separate process. You know, that, that, that process, uh, uh, it's not that that, that, that would stop the, the independent evaluation which the MPA needs to do about whether they believe that they have evidence to prosecute. So the two are separate processes. They, they don't sequentially need to flow from each other. And, you know, we, what is a commission of inquiry? You know, it's not like a, a commission of inquiry. Uh, you know, maybe this is also a potential challenge going forward. But as far as we know, as it stands now, it's not like we have a binding set of findings and recommendations similar uh, to what the Constitutional Court uh, uh, proclaimed in terms of the Public Protector's Report. So mm -hmm. there's, no, there's nothing that flows from this report which obliges anybody to do anything. You know, the NPA need to ex exercise their mandate based upon this record, and, 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 and so do, do the police. And uh, uh, individuals have the right to, uh, to go through a process of, uh, of judicial review. When it comes to the question of accountability here, again, um, the, the processes of taking this report on review, you know, you're saying that the, these processes can run concurrently, so they can take place at the same time. But what does accountability look like for you as, as Corruption Watch? What would you sure, want to yeah. see happen in, in this situation? Kathy, it, it's about justice outcomes. Right, so it's about remedial action. So it's about stolen money being recovered where possible. Very difficult because of the way money laundering works. It's about um, sanctioning individuals, possibly by way of prosecutions. It could be in the form of blacklisting for corporate entities that are implicated. A cooling off period that they're no longer allowed to operate in the same way. And, and it could be uh, something short of prosecutions by way of uh, disciplinary sanctions or people stepping aside. So, you know, there's a trust deficit that we have now between the citizens and the state. 
and between citizens and the governing party. The governing party is telling us they're taking, these taking the work of the commission absolutely seriously, and it's a priority to ensure that we future-proof our democracy, to ensure that we don't have a situation of state capture again. So we would expect, within the context of government, to seek concrete action. And, and, you know, one of the simplest ways of doing that is to say that if you're tainted in any way, that you need to step aside until such time that you're able to uh, uh, clear your name or prove otherwise on the balance of probabilities uh, other than the, than the finding of the commission. There, there are many politicians who would disagree with that view because, again, they see part of the evidence that has been brought before the Zondo Commission of Inquiry as being, you know, part of a broader conspiracy that these are statements or comments that have been made but that are fueled by political agendas. I mean, there'll always be those, those kinds of arguments will always be made by politicians, you know, and we don't really have... Uh, uh, a great track record uh, of people stepping aside or of politicians being held accountable for their for their wrongdoings but we've been hearing this kind of thing for a long time I mean from the from the inception of the prosecution of, of Jacob Zuma we've heard that it's been motivated by, by politics and, and and on that basis charges were removed on that basis charges were there was a process of challenging the reinstatement of, of charges and you know those arguments ultimately all were had to be withdrawn you know in, in the courts uh, by those that were making those arguments so um, you know I expect politicians to be opportunistic uh, uh, and I expect them to hide behind uh, notions of kind of unfairness and factionalism but it's not clear to me that that, that carries much uh, carries much weight uh, uh, with us or it broadly in the court of public opinion. A lot of the focus now is also going to turn to the recommendations of these reports and how and whether those recommendations are implemented. Are you confident that the 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 pace at which the work to implement the recommendations is is taking place that that is satisfactory? And, and, and that it also expresses a willingness to fully embrace um, these recommendations. I'm hearing a tone in your question, Kathy, which implies almost uh, a kind of cynicism or skepticism about that. And I, I, would, I would hold that, that skepticism. The pace of change is slow. You know, when the president says he's got to receive the entire bundle of reports before giving us a response in June, the question I have is why? You know, why, why, why can't we deal with Bosasa as a standalone case? Why can't we deal with Transnet as a standalone case? Um, so, um, you know, the pace of change is, is very slow. Um, we're in this process now of implementing a national anti-corruption strategy, which, will, which envisions the establishment of an independent anti-corruption agency. But one doesn't hear uh, uh, um, the president talking about that. He didn't talk about it in the State of the Nation speech. Uh, we don't hear the Minister of Justice talk about it too much. It, it is very slow. And, and one ha that makes one question whether there is that sufficient political will to actually drive actions which are uh, um, you know, commensurate with the kind of re anti-corruption rhetoric we've been hearing from 
from our leaders for you know for a long time. We're in conversation with Karan Singh, who is the executive director at Corruption Watch, and a lot has been said about corruption in this country. So now that the Zondo Commission uh, has made its findings, has made its recommendations, do you think that the ways in which these recommendations are being implemented, we haven't seen much implementation yet, um, but do you think that that in itself is sending out a message about the seriousness of government to truly uh, tackle the, the scourge of corruption that we're facing in this country? I'll take some of your calls on 011-714-2006 on the WhatsApp line 0614-104-107 on Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag SFM Talking Point. And of course, whatever happens is going to be in the context of, yes, a big, you know, year of conference and elections for the ANC. It's going to be seen in the context of what happens in 2024. And this is part of the journey that is leading us to those um, national government elections. But are you satisfied as things are with what we are seeing when it comes to the recommendations of these reports. I'll take your calls and your comments after this. For now, it's 11.30. Luyanda is standing by. Well, let's continue the conversation with Karan Singh of Corruption Watch. Um, you, you know, Karan, I, I, I understand the position of Corruption Watch in as far as wanting to see, you know, processes that move speedily and show a commitment to fighting corruption. At the same time, we are aware of the political tensions that exist within particularly the governing party and how much is at stake should anything go wrong in the sense that should somebody be uh, accused and there be findings and, and action taken against this person and subsequently have any of those findings overturned by the country's courts, that the ramifications of that um, can also be dire in, in the long run. Do you think that, you know, that the way that these considerations are being made is in the interests of South Africans and South Africa as a country? I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you mean when you say the, these considerations. I mean, the processes which have to take place within the governing party to, to win back the confidence uh, of the country that they're interested, that they're committed to fighting corruption and they're committed to fighting corruption within their own ranks. So that those are those are matters which are within their control, whether they mm. ask people to step aside or not. You know, and it's it's not an issue that if you're if you're asked to step aside, uh, uh, that there's not a possibility of of reviving your profile or or reestablishing your your presumption of innocence. Uh, it's not a criminal conviction. So that's you know on the one hand. On the mm. other hand, you know, are the are the the, the 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 processes which have to take place in terms of uh, institutions exercising their mandate. So the NPA has, a, has the sole mandate to criminally prosecute. Nobody else in the country can, can make a determination to criminally prosecute. As a private person, I, could, I can approach the NPA to say, are you going to prosecute this matter? And if they say that they're not, then I can pursue a private prosecution. But that's a, you know, that's, that's a little bit of an outlier in our, in our existing system. The police have to exercise their mandate, you know, across 
the, the, the framework of, of law enforcement, different agencies have different pieces of this anti-corruption puzzle, which they need to then, uh, uh, you know, ac exercise their mandate in respect to. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, that would be my response if, if, I'm, if, if I'm understanding mm -hmm. what you're asking. Yes, yes, you, you, you're absolutely understanding it correctly because, again, um, I think that when we look at the, the state of affairs in the country, it's very clear that sometimes decisions are being made not just focused on, let's say, what the findings are of the report, but being very aware of what the broader implications, even for an organization like the ANC, may be. Um, if the if, if the recommendations are just implemented unilaterally, and I think that's why we see the organisation saying today that there's a task team that's going to be put together to specifically deal with how the party will respond uh, to the recommendations. And, and that's not un that's you know in and of itself that's not unreasonable, right? Mm -hmm. But the challenge is that there's been such you know such an erosion of trust. We, you know, there's been such a kind of track record of speaking one way and, and, and doing another way that one just feels that it's kind of a perpetual process of kicking the can down the road and, and not making any decisions about it, you know. And, and I think that's, that's a worry, you know. It's something which goes back, you know, goes back a long way in terms of how government has processed uh, uh, different kinds of forensic reports that they've received. So, you know, the SIU did a report on Bosasa that goes back 10 years, you know, that had, had significant findings, uh, adverse findings against individuals. And, you know, because it was in the era of state capture, uh, those findings and recommendations weren't taken forward. And that's true for a lot of other previous uh, forensic investigations that have taken place. So when we talk about a process of a committee set up to evaluate the findings so we, that we don't act rashly, uh, if, if, if we had that level of trust that there would be, that there would be a, a follow-through, then we could accept that. You know, but given, given the track record, it sounds a little bit hollow. Karan Singh, Executive Director of Corruption Watch. Let's leave it there for this morning. And thank you for taking the time to engage us. All right, we're going to take some of your WhatsApp voice notes on this very issue. Uh, I wonder where you stand in as far as the way in which you would want to see the recommendations of the Zondo Commission uh, report be taken, the way you would want to see those recommendations actually taking place. Good morning, Kathy. You know, people that are pinning their hopes, hanging their souls, literally, on, uh, you know, believing that Cyril Ramaphosa will do anything. So, uh, like they usually come and say, he's cleaning the nine wasted years. I mean, like, they are in for the shock of their lives. And it's, it's quite, you know, disappointing and disheartening to see even people that, you know, one would think, would think that, they are more, uh, you know, learned, much more discerning. But they can't see that this man is not the man of his word. Shoo! What a time, what a time, what a time. Hi, Kathy. My name is Vati from PE Kabefa. For me, the recommendations of all these, um, um, uh, of these commissions has never been taken seriously. The only, um, 
report that was taken seriously through. Uh, it also took the constitutional court to actually make it very serious. It was that one of the of the Nganda, uh, upgrades um, uh, made by um, the former public protector Tulima Donzela. It took the constitutional court to make that one very seriously, and there were some repercussions on it. It's party from Kobeha PE. Good day, Katiha. This is Anonymous. I'm listening to Mr. Kwedemantash. Ah, these politicians. Ah, they will surprise you, really. Uh, he did not pay for upgrades in his houses. We pay for everything here on the ground. Everything we own or we have, we pay for it. Yet uh, we put people in power for not uh, for what? For for them not to pay for services. Yet they want us to pay for things. Hey, uh, these people have money. They're supposed to pay. Why are they not paying? Why then are we fighting crime? If there are people who are getting things for free, they are not paying. Why? Everybody else have to pay. People need to be charged first by the NPA before they can step aside. As long as they are not charged uh, according to the laws of the ANC, they are not supposed to step aside. They can do so on their own free will, but they are not forced to do so. But all those who are charged need to step aside. Morning, 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 my favorite Kathy. Your team is Uncle JJ, the truck driver in the free state. Hi, Kathy. Hey, can you invite us, an official of municipality of Standardton? We want to know where is the money? What's going on? The whole town is full of potholes. We can't drive our trucks there. What's going on? Where are they driving on? On air or what? We need to know. Please invite them, Katie. Hi, Katie. This is Salim from Durban. Katie, you know, before the war started between Ukraine and Russia, Russia tried very hard to negotiate and put its case down. The West particularly NATO and America, refused to listen. Russia made them understand what it wanted, and all they had to do is not to bring the military might of NATO in the border of Russia or bring it to Ukraine. Had they done that and listened and cooperated, there would have been no war. The West and NATO created the war or made a condition for the war. Who is suffering today? Ukraine is suffering. Ukraine is suffering. The people are dying. But in NATO, who, who made the condition for the war, they promised help, but they're doing nothing because they cannot stand up to the might of Russia, which is a powerful nation 